The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Max Verstappen wins in Abu Dhabi. Not exactly a repeat of last year's drama. Spanners is here to recap with me. What's going on, Spanners? Hey, Casey. 20 races a year would be enough. That's my hot take. We were BSing when we first got on the Zoom. Well, you were you had some weird new metal filter on, like a weird black <laughs> yeah, and I was white. Yeah, di- I was like a of... TikTok filter. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, going for. Yeah, steampunk as they call it, I think, maybe. Um, and we were just BSing it, and I said, what was your main takeaway? And you said, the season is too long. Yeah, I think everyone seems uh, exhausted. I mean, before we get into the race, even, like looking at Verstappen and Red Bull, they look like a, a haggard team, a team that has been under fire. Forget yeah. about the cost cap, forget about the controversy of Abu Dhabi last year. It, it just seems like it's got to them. Like, I've never seen an unhappier team that is the current <laughs> champions and an unhappier champion Max Verstappen very clearly under pressure after Brazil uh, my inbox was full of very negative responses even from from Dutch Max Verstappen fans uh, about his uh, about his antics in Brazil and yep. then in qualifying again you can see him having this little jink towards Lewis Hamilton before the final qualifying laps and even before that you saw him let a bunch of people through and and, and block Lewis Hamilton. So you can start to see, you know, it really is kind of getting to to everyone. And I think if you did a poll around the paddock, obviously I'm assuming that the ring is going to give me paddock access at some point and I can go and do a survey. I think they all could have done with two or three races less. Daniel Ricardo was on post-race and and they were talking about how he's like how Marco and Christian Horner basically said this week he's going to be a reserve driver next week next year and Ricardo said basically I, I wanted to make it clear that yes that's the direction it's trending but he wanted to make crystal clear he would not be at 24 races next year can't do it he said he has to take time to find himself which I think we all like none of us want to be at 24 races next year including the 
Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton and all those guys. But the fact that Daniel Ricciardo was just like, no, I'm doing like 15. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. Like he's, well, got, well, he's yeah. got it made. Exactly. Like if you look at like soccer in the UK, when uh, the European uh, stuff started really kicking off in the Premier League, they, that brought in squad rotation. So you wouldn't see all your superstars in necessarily right. every single game. And then for fans, you kind of pick and choose which games are important to you, which games you're going to watch. But F1's never been that for me. I have a pathological need to watch every single competitive second and most of the practice sessions as well. Um, but I've heard a lot of people say, hey, look, you know, this is what a lot of other sports do. I, I think they're probably going to go towards 30 races a season and you're not supposed to watch them all in some kind of weird way. But as, a, as an F1 addict, it's felt like a, a long season. I certainly haven't gone, oh, where did the time go? No, I, I saw it all go past me quite, quite slowly. I will say this. We always talk about adjusting to the, the way the modern game is played in any yeah. sport. And I will say that if taking weekends off is the way modern F1 is trending, then Ferrari is ahead of the game. They've already, <laughs> just, they've already yeah, figured it out. out. They've already yeah. figured it out. They've, they're, they're, we didn't get it. We didn't get it because we're not smart enough. But Ferrari yeah. has been taking entire weekends it, off. It, all season. If it wasn't if it was an out and out team championship and like the drivers' championship didn't matter at all, then you could imagine Verstappen or Hamilton having a few weekends off because only the team result matters. But uh, I don't think it's ever going to go that way. I'm hoping it's going to stay like this: 23, 24, 25, and then we can just adjust to it. But yeah. All right, let's get to the race. Um, Max Verstappen wins. There's so much that goes into the finale of the season. And we have a lot to get to as far as Red Bull inter-team drama, um, Lewis Hamilton retiring and and not going out on a high note. It was funny. He was talking post-race and basically said, we started with a car we were unhappy with and ended with a car we were unhappy with. And he said that they were, they were stuck with the car. And so you kind of feel like he just wanted to get out of this weekend without a headache and he couldn't do it. Um, they had to retire. He said on the radio, something was wrong with his car and... As luck would have it, he was correct. Uh, takeaways from this race, anything jump out to you, Spanners? Uh, yeah, Latifi needed to <laughs> not do that jump scare at the end. When you suddenly saw Latifi near the barriers with Mick Schumacher, you went, oh my goodness, it's happened again. Surely not. Uh, but I think I think the takeaway is that, uh, A, Interlagos needs to be the final race of the season. Yes. Look at how exciting and how complete an F1 weekend we had at Interlagos last week. And then you look at Abu Dhabi and you go, well, it's a track that kind of spaces everyone out a little bit. It's not fantastic for overtaking apart from, you know, the switchback maybe between the two straights. So so there's a takeaway from that. It, it's never really a thriller. And then I guess you can have the takeaway that I hope Pirelli really look at the season and go, when we've been on that cusp of two, maybe three stops, that's when we've had the best racing. So the... Race for the second in the Constructors' Championship is over. Ferrari gets it. Um, not mm -hmm. a ton of drama um, in the last few weeks. I think that we thought that it would be a little closer than it ended up being. Um, surprised by by anything in the Constructors' Championship? Well, I mean, we'll we'll go we'll go through it really quickly because we sort of <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it goes Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Alpine, McLaren, Alpha, Aston, Haas, Alpha, Tauri, Williams. And by the way, real quick, shout out. I don't want to do a deep dive into it. Logan Sargent will be driving for Williams. He confirmed uh, with a fifth place finish in the race today. That he, I think, believe he was fourth in F2, which means he gets enough super license points. So as we lose one American from the grid, Daniel Ricardo, we get another in Logan Sargent. You're, you're counting Ricardo oh, yeah. as a... As a pseudo-American, right. fair right. enough. No, Barely um, and, pseudo. I'm, and, I, 
and, and I'm really glad. And my wish for that would be that I don't know a lot about Logan Sargent, but my wish would be for, you know, all this new influx of American F1 fans to really have an American driver to get behind. I know some people get upset about uh, supporting your, your national driver, but that's generally if you're British. No one minds the Dutch supporting Verstappen or the Mexicans supporting uh, Perez. Um, so I, I am happy for the new American fan base. I hope they can really get behind Logan Sargent and that Williams can finally start delivering them something to celebrate as well because is this a step away from pay driver models i don't know too much no no it's it's short answer no uh but i will say a couple things number one after we win the world cup there will be a lot more sporting patriotism in america and i feel like that's really going to spring logan golden generation logan sergeant's from florida which is where i'm from need to check out maybe when i get paddock access his uh sports team loyalties because that's going to determine a lot of how i feel about that as i think Scene. we can all yes. sort of identify to that uh, with that <laughs> um but no i think it's i i think it's it, it's at least a right a step in in the right direction it is not uh i mean he, he started in in carts um he, he kind of went through the entire developmental system it'll be interesting to see if maybe and again, I don't want to do a whole deep dive in this. We can do an off-season episode about it. But it'll be interesting to see if maybe uh, younger drivers now opt more for F3, F2 than the IndyCar model, which obviously did not get Colton Herta yeah. into get, get into super license points, all that stuff. I'm, I'm fascinated to see that sort of the developmental track over the next four or five years as far as, as younger drivers go. Now that Sergeant is an F1, I believe the last F1 driver was Scott Speed. Um, that was more than a decade ago. Um, I'm too young to remember, so I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sebastian Vettel talked about that in Miami, actually. Um, But no, it's, it's, it's good because it also ends the drama of who the next American driver is going to be. In Miami, every F1 driver had to field a question about like how great it would be for an American driver. We don't have to do the hypothetical anymore. Let's just see it. Let's see what the support (laughs) is. Let's just see. I mean, again, like I don't think that, that having like Christian Pulisic play for Chelsea appreciably changed how Americans view the English Premier League. The people who were into it were into it, and the people who weren't weren't. Like I don't think that a bunch of like guys who normally just sit around watching the Cleveland Browns and Detroit Lions are like, oh hell yeah, I'm going to watch Chelsea against against Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup because Pulisic is playing. So I do. I think it's it's about marketability. Like it, it's fascinating to me, like to go into Grand Central Station and see Lando Norris on a random billboard for for a luggage company like that. If Logan Sargent gets into that. That area, then then it's a different conversation. If it gets on the kind of the GQ circuit, like that, that's where it gets into a different conversation. But it, it, it's all it, it's all on the table now for an American driver. I think with F one, with your twenty limited grid spots, I think you could come into F one completely as a neutral and just enjoy the racing week on week and enjoy the strategy. But I'd love to have skin in a game. If I come into a series and I have no particular allegiance, I will find one just for the sake of it, and then maybe put a couple of quid on it. Because that's what sport's about, isn't it? It's tribal. It's about having a little bit of skin in the game. So I, I think, you know, if he comes in and he starts doing well against Albon and and Williams are starting to fight for points more often, then that will galvanize the, the American audience beneath it. And, and like you said, with the feeder series, you know, maybe in four, five, six years' time, the kids that are 12-year-old now mm-hmm. starting to look at going into cars will go, hmm, maybe that European ladder looks okay. The question I initially asked before I got completely off track yeah, was no, about the, constru- the, constru- <laughs> the Constructors' Championship. 
the, the vice champion, as I heard a couple of people incorrectly and <laughs> inexplicably calling it. I do not like vice champion. I think the most generous interpretation of that is the championship was decided. And so if you want to find uh, something exciting to compete for, then you were in luck because very clearly Perez was invested in getting P2. And apparently, according to George Russell, Leclerc was getting a big bonus if he finished P2. And this race was very much about P2 in the championship. And both drivers could have won it. It is my opinion that that Ferrari were lucky. I think Leclerc kind of accidentally won it because there was this key point in the race where they said, okay, uh, do the opposite to what Perez does. And I I was really surprised because the, the undercut was so huge here at Abu mm-hmm. Dhabi. I can't remember the last time we saw an undercut this big and the undercut being the advantage that the new tyres give you for the amount of laps that you pit earlier than your competitor. So I pit earlier than you by three laps. You're on the old tyres still because you think, oh, my tyres are still good. I'm on the new tyres gaining two seconds a lap, which I think it kind of was on on this. And then by the time you pit, I've gained six seconds on you. So Sonoda gained time on the pack. Vettel lost time on everyone um, trying to go long and overcut everyone. Lewis Hamilton gained about six seconds on on George Russell. And Perez gained about six seconds as well on Max Verstappen too. So I was a little bit surprised that that Ferrari kind of didn't go a bit more aggressive and go, right, let's, let's undercut Perez because I think we've got the pace. Instead, they were very passive and they said, right, okay, whatever Perez does, We'll do. We'll do different. And Red Bull must have heard that, and that kind of put the puts the ball in Red Bull's court a little bit, I guess. Um, I, I think Perez did the right thing, which was pit protect against the undercut mm-hmm. to gain that advantage going forward. And he had a, a massive overspeed, but you know, just just in the end, there was just like two or three different factors that just meant it wasn't enough to catch Leclerc. But I, I do think Perez and Red Bull lost that, as opposed to Ferrari winning it. You can you can argue with me. I know you're you're Tafosi deep down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I tend to agree with you. And it was funny because there was so much on the grid today that and and obviously so much had been decided already that like I wasn't really it, it, Ted Kravitz had that line at the beginning of the race where he was basically like Red Bull is about to is taking their keys and checking out of this race. They, they were going to pull away. Um, that did out, obviously didn't end up happening. But with no. Max, there was there wasn't a lot of drama. I was watching some of the other parts of the grid. Um, Sebastian Vettel, nice drive at the end there. Um, can you put into words for people who maybe started to watch in the last three or four years, which I don't, I don't think is actually like 100% of this, this, this show's audience, but it is a big chunk, certainly, yeah. in America, even though we have a worldwide audience. When I look at the numbers, I'm always surprised. Um, we, we are, we are we're spanning the globe. We're bringing the world together. Um, with uh, with really sarcastic jokes, but just us too, just us just too, us yeah. too, just us too, single handedly. Um, we're yeah. doing what the World Cup was trying <laughs> to do and failing. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> can you put into words? You know, if Vettel talked after the race about how the last two years have been really important to him because it's been more off the track than on, and you've seen him go on what's the question time? Is that the show? Um, yeah, question time in Britain. Yeah, gl- yeah, global warming in in Miami all that stuff. And it's really special to watch him evolve as an off-track person. Um, but obviously the last two years, the, the results haven't been um, incredible. And even, even I think mm. the Ferrari tenure was a disappointment relative to, to the expectations yeah. that he came in. Um, but seeing him one last time, what'd you think? So uh, it was the TV program, How I Met Your Mother, made this comparison between how people see the Star Wars creatures, the Ewoks. And you could tell someone's age by their opinion on on the Ewoks. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this theory, but basically if no. you were 
a, a child when Star Wars came out, you thought that Ewoks were, were cool and, and brilliant. Uh, and if you were over a certain age, you thought they were annoying and, and took away from the drama of it. And I think that um, the Jar Jar Binks character ha has a kind of similar yeah. marker. You can sort of tell how long you've been into F1 by what you think of, of Sebastian Vettel. And if you think he's like this stoic, wise ambassador, yeah. good old Uncle Seb, which you're right, he absolutely has become, then, you know, it's probably you've come to the sport a little bit newer, nothing wrong with that, uh, uh, more recently. But uh, honestly, my enduring memory of Sebastian Vettel is Das Finger. And, and he was known as Das Finger because he had this very provocative kind of one finger point salute. He was supremely arrogant, which you probably do need to be a Formula One F champion. He was yes. ruthless. He did not consider his teammates at all. He was uh, very punchy, very fiery. He once drove his car into Lewis Hamilton on purpose under a safety car, allegedly, for the crime of, because he thought he was being brake checked. So he pulled alongside and, and drove into him and then actively ran away from reporters trying to ask him what happened. So look, he has been like a really volatile, explosive character in F1. And and then suddenly there was, a, there was a switch because even against Lewis Hamilton at Ferrari, he was again, you know, very aggressive, you know, during that, that, that time when I was just talking about, you know, crashing a car deliberately into Lewis Hamilton. Mm -hmm. and, and then, there was a, a moment where you realized that Leclerc not only had the measure of him, but that he'd lost the Ferrari camp as well. And it was the fact that Ferrari let him go. And you go, okay, well, look at the past, the champions, who's been let go by, by their teams. You know, Alonso, I think, has kind of chosen to move on at every point. So has Lewis Hamilton. Um, if, if You'd have to go back nearly as far as Damon Hill getting kicked out of Williams. Mm -hmm. you know, when was a champion, you know, be, you know, been moved on? And you kind of saw the magic slip away. And then you saw he had no real options except this Aston Martin one, at which point you might have thought it would have been a fair point to retire. So it has definitely gone out with a whimper. And yes, of course, you know, the important work he's done using his voice is absolutely great. But from a pure F1 fan point of view, I have spent the whole weekend trying to sit on my hands and not tweet the like, yeah, bicep, because <laughs> everyone's been really <laughs> emotional about it. And I felt like the party pooper, but it's okay to have villains in F1, I think. And to me, Sebastian Vettel is my pantomime villain in Formula One. Wow. So I miss him from that point of view. Yeah, he absolutely has been a pantomime villain. What an me. Ewok yeah. situation this is. Because I exactly. think, I, I, I think that, that my disappointment, so I started watching in, I forget, it's 2017, um, midway through 2017, the day after I got hit by a car, um, all sorts of weird psychological shit <laughs> going on there, Oof. just starting watching F1 after getting hit by a car. Um, but the amazing thing for me is the way I process it is, to me, I was always disappointed in Vettel because he could never bring a legitimate title fight to Lewis Hamilton. And I, I, I'm a Hamilton, a, 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 among the top drivers, I, I mm. actually probably favor Hamilton more than anybody. I'm not a Hamilton fan. I, uh, I'm not a fan of anybody except our guy Logan Sargent. Me, me neither. Um, I'm neutral me, as well. Me yeah. But I'm saying that I, all I wanted, it's funny, kind of a be careful what you wish for thing. All I wanted was last year, every year. And, and maybe a mm. little more... Um, I don't know, a little less controversy at the, at, at the end, but I wanted like going into the final race like that, that, that to me was, was exciting. And Vettel was always the guy who gave it a little bit of a go in the first half of the season and then just faded away. And so that was how I processed it. I knew that Vettel was very, very, very good. Um, and I knew obviously his championships with Red Bull. And a lot of that was by studying Adrian Newey, who, who I uh, read a lot about when I first got into the sport. But for me, it was always about just the idea that, that, that he wasn't, 
at Ferrari, he wasn't the driver, the kind of the prince that was promised for for the Tifosi. <laughs> I get that reference. I get it. Uh, but if you look, uh, it's been 16 years is the stat since neither Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel was in the top two in a championship. But one, I'm just trying to count out loud. I've just had to take off my socks to count my toes. <laughs> but Sebastian Vettel has been involved in seven close championships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2009, uh, not quite managing to catch Braun and Jensen Button. Obviously, the four Red Bull years and the two years chasing down Lewis Hamilton in that Ferrari, that is not a bad CV to, to leave. And I think like Schumacher with the Mercedes years, you kind of, I think if you're a fan, you just wish you could just hacksaw that little bit off the end and, and not count those. And uh, But today, even today, though, you know, he was fighting wheel to wheel with Esteban Ocon. He was uh, quote unquote defending against Fernando Alonso, who I think was very much sitting there. And I've got a theory. This is a tinfoil hat theory, but as we've learned, some tinfoil hat theories are true. Perez Monaco, allegedly. Yeah. Right? I think Fernando Alonso was messaging, we're slow, and Alpine pitted Ocon out of the way of, of, of Vettel and Alonso. They knew full well Alonso wasn't challenging Sebastian Vettel. It was obvious from the, the car language and the car positioning. He had opportunities to go and take him down the straight, and he absolutely didn't. He was playing rear gunner. And then he goes on the radio going, oh, we're very slow. And Ocon gets pitted out of the way. I think, I honestly think there was an earnest effort to push Sebastian Vettel up the grid today. Wow. I, I, okay, yeah, I, 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 I am all for tinfoil hat conspiracies. Do we want to Good. touch on uh, Alonso ending his, his Alpine run with the, with the DNF? Uh, pff, no. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. So, um, but that what doesn't mean Ocon, Ocon's, Ocon's beating him on points. So have that. Wow. wow. Um, Ecuador has had a goal, a goal called back uh, via a dodgy offsides VAR check. I'm not has the, has the World Cup started, is it? Oh, no. The World Cup has started. Oh, okay. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, all right. So a cu- cu- couple other things to get to here. Uh, number one, I, 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 maybe I, I just haven't been watching enough Lando Norris press conferences. Afterwards, he went on the uh, on Sky and seemed very down. The body language doctor is, is in, and he seemed very down. He, he said it's as good as our days can get, to be honest. And then at one point, one of the guys, I don't know if it was DeRest or Johnny Herbert, said best of the rest, and, and Lando kind of cut him off and was just like, I hate that, mm. I, hate, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. A little bit of frustration mounting because we'd heard – for a long time, that Lando was Mr. McLaren. He loved, he was ingrained in the team. He loved packing up equipment. Like he was just, that's why he made the commitment. Is there at the end of a, of a long race season, just kind of like, oh, I'm not fighting for anything? That's what I'm like here at the ringer. Once you hang <laughs> up, I'm, I'm with Erica pulling up leads, shutting down Zoom calls and everything, uh, whilst you're, you're off into your gold-plated jet. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, there's going to be frustration because look at the crop he came in with. Well, Russell, Albon, Verstappen that he plays a lot of like uh, eye racing and stuff with. And who else was part of that crop? Leclerc. So, you know, you've got Leclerc fighting for championships. Obviously, Verstappen, two-time world champion. George Russell winning a race. Albon had his shot at Red Bull as well. And, and he's kind of been left behind. And he's not shy making those comments either when he's, you know, he's talking about that. And, and McLaren have just flattered to deceive and I think McLaren are kind of now in this no man's land that Renault slash Alpine have been in forever, where, uh-huh. where they're talking they're talking good, a good game. Alpine are always talking about, well, we're a manufacturer. We've got this seven-year plan or whatever, a beatable, uh, uh, Cyril Abitable failed to achieve and why Renault got changed into Alpine. But McLaren have also been talking this good game and they've got some really charismatic figures. You know, Zach Brown just looks like I would love to get on a jet with Zach Brown, play a round of golf and then disappear off into the evening. I bet he is an absolute lad. But they overpromise and underdeliver, and that might be starting to wear thin on, on Lando Norris because I bet every year, every contract signing, it's been, no, 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 we've got great plans. We're doing this, we're doing that. And we've all worked for, for people like that, haven't we, Kevin, where, you know, you go, you know, they're always being told, oh, yeah, you know, this time in two years, your contract will be going mad. The company will be this big. And, and it can grate on you when, when those promises aren't achieved. And you look at Mercedes as a counter to that, they're always going, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to be a bother. We'll probably be like seventh or something next year. Yeah. I will say there's no, nobody gasses you up and lies about contracts in the media industry. doesn't happen. No, no, no. does not happen. Safe. Bark up the wrong tree on that, on that line. Um, all right. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that goes. We did get a couple of, of listener questions. I'm interested to, to fill you out on it real quick about which manufacturer. I think we all sit around talking about, whether or not Mercedes can make the leap to get with Red Bull, whether Ferrari can can kind of hold serve next year. But we did get a couple of just like general improvement in 2023 if we're expecting anything. Is there a best of the rest team that we should be discussing more? I mean, I was disappointed with Alpha season um, you know, today. Even Botas didn't really give it a go. Uh, Joe actually beat him. Like what what is the, is there a mid-pack team that, that can can make a leap into that kind of best of the rest? 
I, yes and no. So yeah, in general, I, I, do, I do feel like those top three have got a bit of a monopoly. So you've got, you know, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, and that is most likely what it's going to be next season. Of the pretenders, who have you got? You've got Alpine, who I always, I, I really feel like they have just been um, on this uh, over-ambitious projection where they're acting like they're a works team. They're acting like they're Ferrari, a Ferrari but really the infrastructure isn't there. And then McLaren, we've just discussed. The other one is Aston Martin, where you look at the funds that they have available to them, which I think is potentially limitless. Like I'm not an economist or a mathematician, but if Lawrence Stroll wanted to, he could obviously, he can fill the budget cap with his personal money. I understand that rich people don't get rich by doing that kind of thing, uh, but they poured a lot into facilities and there was a lot of promise there. Now, in, in my opinion, and this is going to be unpopular, they got a big name in Sebastian Vettel, but not a top, top, at the top of their game talent. Mm -hmm. So they had Lance Stroll, and I, I think any other, you know, of the top tier drivers, if you want to talk about uh, Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, uh, or even what Perez did, you know, you will go in there and look a lot more dominant over Lance Stroll than perhaps what Vettel did at the end of his career, kind of already having made the decision that he was going to retire. Alonso going in there next season will be very, very interesting. I would expect a top driver to put a really big gap between him and Lance Stroll. But as I, as Williams suffered when they had Stroll and Sorokin, if you don't have at least one top Trump card level driver in mm -hmm. there, you're, you're kind of leaving, you're leaving potential on the table. And it must have been de demoralizing for Williams engineers when you had Stroll and Sorokin for, I think it was two seasons. And you go, well, it doesn't matter what you do. We're only getting Stroll, Sorokin level performances. So have Aston Martin actually maximized what they're capable of? And will Fernando Alonso change that? Or will he come in, blow the team up, annoy everyone, uh, you know, do his typical Alonso thing and then leave after a year. So uh, they're the three potential midfield teams. I do not see Haas, Alpha Tauri, Alfa Romeo or Williams suddenly jumping up and being top three contenders. Let's get to it. It's time. Let's do it. Red Bull off track drama, which is by the way, on track drama. I loved, I loved, and I'm sure you saw it. Soon as Max gets the checkered flag, he said, where did Checo end up? And they said, oh, he's 1-3 behind Leclerc. And Max had to go, oh, so, so oh, close. No. Oh, oh, no, so no. close. I'm an can't amazing teammate. It. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm such an amazing teammate. Uh, there's going to be some overcompensation, especially over over the, the next few months where they say everything is great. Um, I have a I have sort of a lot of, of theories and things to say about this. Um, but let's let's start here. Uh, what did you think about the last week? I mean, we were processing it almost in real time last mm. week when we were doing this episode. So much has unfolded. Um, there's now some some family drama, some Max's mom <laughs> Instagram comments getting oh, out there. Where the they're they're, they're, the they're involved now. Yeah. Uh, this is this is all as as you guys say over there. This is all kicking off, Spanners. Yeah, it, it, they seemed a little bit awkward around each other, didn't they? Um, Perez and and Verstappen. So clearly, all is not well. And then when the the Ricardo third driver news got announced you go yes. oh is that is that something to do with that but horner said very clearly no this is not a replacement for paris but cle clearly everything isn't good is it? It, it it's not i don't it's not a replacement it's a insurance policy against bad vibes if things are really bad next year they can just say <laughs> check out like yeah. we can get a second driver anywhere 
And they were paying him a lot of money, I guess. And he obviously negotiated before Monaco, as we know, mm. um, because the hot mic picked that up. But I I don't know. I mean, it seems it it, it reminds me a little bit. I mean, this happens in soccer too, but it more often happens in, in baseball and football and in any American sport where there's a coach who's pretty good, but then they hire the t- the the franchise says, "Oh, we're going to bring in this assistant here, who, by the way, is like coached another <laughs> team for ten years." And and you kind of go, "Hmm, if this goes south, that replacement's already in house." And so it the record, yeah, yeah. And so the idea that you'd have a guy who can step in at a moment's notice, a literal moment's notice, as long as he's not finding himself and isn't at the track that weekend, is a protection clause against Checo. I would say, listen, the entire team is built around Max. The entire team is built around Max. Yeah, they. I'm sure they're kind of like Max. If he could do something with Checo, that'd be great. But it's more of a suggestion. It's on Checo to make yeah. this work. And so Ricardo being there is an insurance policy against Checo not making this work. So to make one thing clear, there is a legitimate role at Red Bull for what uh, Daniel Ricciardo is going to be yeah, doing. Yeah, of course, they do of a, course. A lot of promo work. I mean, da- uh, David Coulthard and uh, Mark Webber have done quite a lot of that kind of stuff, but I think, you know, they're both getting older as well. Um, Dan Ricciardo is a young, charismatic guy. He will do all their show stuff really brilliantly. Yeah, but it could be just like a little look over your shoulder, you know, get in line, Perez. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, we'll just replace you. But I, I do feel disappointed for him. And I do feel disappointed when in Abu Dhabi last year, he all but stopped under the bridge into the hotel to stop Lewis Hamilton getting past for long enough to stop him building up, you know, a, a really big lead, probably to stop Hamilton getting a pit stop difference. I don't know. I've, I've erased most of Abu Dhabi 2021 <laughs> from my mind. But all we know is that Perez, whenever he's been asked to defend hard, he has done. And we've seen him defend hard. For the fight for second place, for the sake of Red Bull getting a 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship, which I don't think they've ever done before. I don't think they did it under with Vettel and Mark mm-hmm. Webber. Was it really too much to ask Vettel to drop back, stop under the bridge, hold up Leclerc? We've seen it done. I, I heard some stuff on the some commentary or the pit wall saying, oh, well, it, I think it was the Red Bull team radio heard it on, where they said, oh, but if, if Verstappen stops and slows down, that's going to give Leclerc DRS. Yeah, that was exactly true when Perez did it to Hamilton last year. I think Perez absolutely deserved and was owed a little bit of help getting to second place. And it wasn't even a question. It didn't even cross their minds. Uh, They didn't swap fifth for sixth or sixth for seventh in the last race. Uh, And there was no help in this race either. And uh, as a Perez fan, I mean, as a neutral, I felt a little bit hard done by, you know, Uh, but, but Max is, that's just not in his nature. I don't think, I don't think Verstappen it's on even on his radar to, to, to help Perez. There was some debate over the past couple of weeks. Some people tried, and this happens all the time of sort of a drama-less season. Some people tried to bang the drum that this Red Bull car was historically dominant. And other people with more sense of history than I, I I'm sort of agnostic to the whole thing because I, I just don't have as much historical perspective as a lot of people, said they're not even one-two in the Drivers' Championship. You can't even start that debate with some of, with some of the great cars that could just, you turn it on and you and I could, 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 really, could really give it a go. You have something to say? Wow, of all those dominant cars that everyone points to, very few of them had both cars working at that level. So the only one you could probably really point to in recent history is the Mercedes in 2014, 
where Hamilton and Rosberg looked like they both had that up and running. Maybe you could argue that the 2007 McLaren was the the best car, but it wasn't a dominant car. When you look at the dominant cars, there always seems to be one, you know, a little ahead of the other. So Chelsea Cole asks, uh, where does this Red Bull car rank historically? Oh, really high up there. Um, what, how far are we going back? Are we going I, back the, to... As far back as you can remember, <laughs> which as you know, well, you're very I, young. So about 2014, I, exactly, I'm extremely young. I t- my cutoff point for really c- making comparisons of any kind is Alan Prost. Like I, I say, for starters, there's no point going any further back than, than Alan Prost. Uh, but yeah, there have been some dominant cars. If you look at the early 2000s with the Schumacher cars, you go, that was dominant. And they had a kind of agreement with their own tire manufacturer as well. And they just had everything singing like they were un touchable like they were they could be they could be a minute two minutes ahead and they could be on their own lap i can't remember if that actually ever happened if they lapped the whole field but that was very dominant from a uh, you know in any given race you knew there was nothing that they could you could do to beat that car and probably you could say the same in 2016 as -hmm. well with mercedes it was going to be a mercedes that was going to be number one a mercedes that was going to be number two Uh, but this is up there it really is but, um, but that's also a lot down to the competition. So how do we judge the competition? You know, Mercedes made a big error in their direction and Ferrari just, just Ferrari'd all over the place. So maybe we get to next season where we've got uh, an evolution fundamentally of this season's cars. So you'll see Red Bull starting with an advantage. You'll see Mercedes taking a big change in design philosophy and Ferrari potentially, allegedly, may rumor have it with a different management structure maybe that means that that's an easier gap to make up than making up a car that is genuinely genuinely super dominant so it's easier to pull away some of the mistakes and pick some low-hanging fruit from what you've done wrong than if Ferrari and Mercedes went, oh, we have done everything we can. We've got everything right. Uh, we, we built exactly the car we were trying to build, and yet Red Bull is still away. So there's still there's some fat with the other teams that they can pull away. I wanted to get to something you just alluded to. What the hell's going on at Ferrari? I, I mean, I, I'll, 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 it, so it comes out midweek that there was a report that there was already a different team principal, kind of what we were talking about. The Daniel Ricardo of team principals uh, was in the Ferrari paddock. And then it comes out that, that he's that maybe that's untrue. Maybe it is. I mean, it just seems I, I can't get a handle on sort of uh, the different levels of, of F1 media and, and, and with that, that stuff, who's reputable and who's not. Um, but it seems like a lot of conflicting reports about the future of Ferrari. What are we expecting? Wait, where are we in the charts? Aren't we pretty high up there in like F1 media? Why don't we just say our best? We're not in the paddock. We are. We are pretty high in the charts. Let's just state it as fact then. Okay. So here's, we were talking about this um, the other day, kind of as if it was fact, because the, the, the Ferrari management released a vote of confidence in in Mattia Bonotto. Like, oh, he has our full confidence. He's definitely staying forever. And we're all getting Bonotto tattoos on us. That that means his badge has been, has been turned off. His his laptop has been revoked. He cannot get in the building. He's like 90% of Twitter employees right now. But yeah, uh, and then they asked the rumored replacement, uh, Fred Vasseur, 
and they said, you know, are you going to be the Ferrari thing? And he went, oh, it'll all get announced soon. So uh, I'm not telling you anything. I mean, you could have said no, Fred. The option to say, no, I'm not about to become announced as the uh, Ferrari team principal was there and he didn't take it. So I, I'm at the moment going with that. It's absolutely true. And everyone should just believe that. I don't know where this goes. I'm seeing all sorts of stuff. I'm seeing Simone Resta coming back to be the technical director. I, I don't, I don't from Haas. I don't, I don't know anything. This is all like one day we're going to find out just in one big release, what the hell is going on at Ferrari, which is consistent with the theme of the entire season. I haven't known what's going on with Ferrari since about May. I would, I would <laughs> guess. Um, we have a listener question and I'd like to, 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 to throw it to you. Cause I think it's an interesting one. It's from Lewis. Hi, Lewis. For new F1 fans, what can we what should we pay attention to in the offseason that isn't just noise? It's a big question. How do you follow the offseason until testing? What do you do? What do you watch? What do you I mean, is there any sort of tea leaves to read as far as who really is figuring something out? Because it's so funny because you almost you all tea leaf reading is all you can do because it's like someone will say some random thing. Like even last year, I remember somebody being like, you know, Ferrari thinks they've got it figured out and they might have a better car next year. And it's like, where did that come from? It wasn't like a big reported thing. It's like, it's all a whisper. It's all whispers. Mm. Uh, of course. Um, I, I would kind of caution against that one being proof of reading the tea leaves. Well, because for the they last, were better. Oh, I they know, were better. last eight, yeah, but for the last eight years, I think there have been pre-season rumors of Ferrari doing well. And then they get to testing. They look amazing in testing and everyone goes, right, this is it. This is their year. And every year, apart from this year, I've been completely right to go, no, ignore that. This happens every year. Uh, but even then, you know, they ended up uh, not developing well and falling away. And I, and I believe we did predict that um, in our chats here uh, about who would fall away and who would develop better throughout the season. Spoiler, not Ferrari generally so in the off season obviously i'm not going to plug anything that i do in the off season but this is a great time to just uh, you know tap in and familiarize yourself if you get a time to talk uh, to listen to anything recorded by an f1 strategist or yeah. uh, any any of the kind of f1 be, tech be, and, and beyond I'm, the grid is an incredible resource for that kind of stuff it's kind of the official f1 podcast and they have a lot of technical directors got car designers all that stuff and it's a really fascinating it's really fascinating to go back and listen to, to what they have to say okay i won't do self-promo i even took off my uh my podcast shirt so that you wouldn't be offended at me promoting to you and uh, and the producer Mr. on the video Mr. apex pod <laughs> Missed Apex podcast. Uh, but uh, I'm going to recommend my friend, Matthew Summerfield, who uh, yes. is the is it tech... first is the first non-ringer guest on this show. <laughs> um, uh, he is a, a tech guy from motorsport.com. Uh, and he, you don't have to listen to his accent because he's from Birmingham and he talks a bit like that. But you can't hear that when he's typing stuff. And he does really good hand-drawn drawings that explain and illustrate really well what people are trying to achieve with the tech. And so what I would say is, don't worry about trying to decipher and bet who's going to be good next season. Just immerse yourself in Formula One, in the strategy, in the in the tyres. If you can find interviews with, you know, tyre engineers and, and people who have been on pit crews and stuff like that, that is all part of the sport, as well as the the side that is so well put across by the Drive to Survive series, which is excellent, but it doesn't necessarily kind of delve into the actual mechanics, the sports side. So if we were watching your egg ball that you're, you're into, you know, the, the thing I would want to get to really understand if I was going to get into it, if I had a spare eight hours to watch one half of a match, 
is the coach's playbook and all the plays. Because mm-hmm. I used yeah. to play John Madden football on uh, Super Nintendo, I think. Sure. And it's that playbook is, you know, is kind of the master coach tool, isn't it? So you kind of want to be able to watch an F1 race and say, right, what would I do if I was the strategist? And also, what would I be doing if I was the driver? So in the off season, get a racing game of any kind. Yes. Immerse yourself, even if it's just a controller, if you can get yourself a wheel that clamps onto a desk or go to your local indoor kart track, just do it. Just do it, go, get a helmet on, get the visor down and just go racing because it will massively change your opinion, rightly or wrongly, but it will give you a more kind of chest-burning opinion on incidents like Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton today, for example. So go and do that. Go get racing. So we're wrapping up here. We'll be back. Let's do a recap. Let's do a season recap uh, after Thanksgiving. All right. I don't know when that is, so I'll just wait for your call. It's Thursday. So we'll do it oh. in a week after. No, we'll, no, we'll so, wait. We won't do it Friday. Like Americans, we stretch Thanksgiving out. So, so uh, for any British people listening, Thanksgiving is, I understand, just like any Sunday roast dinner we have. But don't rub it in. Do you guys have a <laughs> Thanksgiving have every, every week? week? Yeah, every week, any pub you want to walk into and just go, um, Sunday roast. That's what we'll, you get. We'll have a bunch of off-season content. Um, so this isn't really goodbye or anything. We're going to, we're going to keep populating this oh, feed. I, um, I do want to say yeah. this is the, I, I will get emotional for a second because this is the end of the season. Um, obviously there's, there's so much and, and, and really the F1 season is, as we've talked about so much, it really, it never ends and there's going to be testing before we know it. Um, but I just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, this has been relative to, um, to kind of what I thought would happen in life. One of the most stunning developments in my life. Um, if you were to tell me that, that I'd be hosting a Formula One podcast, even a few years ago, even a year ago, you know, there was a listener who sent me a screen grab because uh, he had sent me an Instagram DM. Um, and I, there was actually a lot of, generally a lot of demand, but you know, on when you're mm-hmm. talking about DMs on Instagram, it's a small sample size um, or on Twitter. But like there were people who were always like starting F1 pod, starting F1 pod. And the... Someone sent me a screen grab of me being like, hey, it's, uh, you know, I like love going on Rosolo, but like, it's just never going to happen. Like, it's never going to happen. I, I just don't have the time for it. And then the way it evolved, um, where we just did a couple of, of Drive to Survive recaps, and then the reaction to that kind of led to a full-time F1 pod. Um, it's one of the great joys of, of, of my professional life. And, and I, I will say it's life-changing. Um, at its most basic function because I have to wake up much earlier on Sundays. Um, but that's a nice, that's a nice problem to have. Um, the community that we have has been incredible. Um, you know, spanners, we've talked about this, but the, um, the lack of, of gatekeeping has been something special. Um, and that was something I was, that's, that's someone who gets the cars and having him on, uh, to explain the cars is a good way into this spanners, you know, far more than I do. The, the, the guys who are in the paddock every week that we've had on has been, um, <laughs> insightful, uh, to, to an yeah. incredibly special degree. And I can't thank them enough. We've had, uh, drivers on, we've had team principals on, we've had, you know, the aforementioned great Zach Brown have not ridden a, a jet with him yet. Uh, but we can do a podcast when we do. Um, so I, I cannot thank not just the audience enough. Um, mm. but also the F1 world, the teams who have been incredibly accommodating. <laughs> We've had great dialogue um, on either getting the drivers on or potentially getting the drivers on in the future, F1 themselves. Um, this has just been um, a, a beautiful, joyful experience. And, and I cannot thank everybody enough for um, for listening. Um, the numbers have exceeded our, our wildest expectations and, and, and given us something to build build 
for for the future um, and and devote resources to. And it's just been um, it's just been really 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 special. So thank you uh, to everyone for the 2022 Formula One season. We'll be back with off season stuff um, very soon. Spanners, we'll see you soon, buddy. I just wanted to say that all the correspondence I've had in in relation to doing the ringer has actually been really lovely and not every F1 community is as lovely. And so thank you to all the DMs and messages and tags that I've had on Twitter. And thank you for inviting me on so much. I've really tried to dance that line between just giving you my full throated opinion, but also stopping and making sure that, you know, we take people with us who are new to Formula One. So I hope I haven't been annoying to people that that know lots about Formula One. And I hope I haven't been patronizing to people that that haven't. And it's it's just been it's been a very different podcasting experience for me. And I've, I've really loved it. The thing that I've enjoyed the most is I, I think that we knew, I knew when starting this in March, that there would be enough kind of drive to survive American fans in. And the things that, that has excited me so much, Manners, and I'm sure that you've, you've had this reflected, is the amount of lifelong fans who are also here because they just kind of like, mm. like the hang um, that, that we've created. And that, to me, has been incredibly um, special and, and, and really cool. And Erica, our producer, who... I just want to say something about Erica. When we started this podcast, she lived in Los Angeles. And so I was like, she lives in, in New York now, and, and she's from Austin, the, uh, the Formula One capital of America. But when we started this podcast, she raised her hand because she likes Formula One. And I was, I was like, well, that can't work because she's going to be waking up at six in the morning, five <laughs> in the morning seven in the morning, every single weekend. And she was like, no, 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 no. I got this. And she's been incredible and, and, and done all we've asked and more and is, is a absolute super producer. And we could not have done this without her. Um, Kaya also produced, Kai McMullen also produced the first handful of episodes before we got Erica on and we can't thank her enough. Um, I'm just going to keep, I, if, if this were the Oscars, I'd be getting played off. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to end, one of those I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end yeah. it now. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Formula One Racing. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you, Bill. See you, next, see you in two weeks after, after our Sunday roast manners. See you, KC. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.